Well, good morning, everybody, and thanks for listening in for another episode of Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, and thank you very much for joining us on this beautiful Sunday morning. This is a regular time, Sunday, 10 a.m. Pacific time. We go by L.A. time here. <laughs> How was your week? Was it great? Did you do something amazing? That's all that's important. I had a great week. I had a great week. A lot of great things going on. The series that I'm executive producer right now, Six Feet Down Under, is, is being shot. As we're, as we're talking right now, uh, Sean Paul Piccinino is directing. and Guy Grundy is acting as well as producing. Sean Piccinino is producing as well. All three of us are writing. Those are my Black Magic 4Ks being shot there. They're awesome. Great crew. Great people. Tony Warren. Vernon Wells. Just great people involved in this project. I can't uh, wait to see the first trailer for the first episode. We're shooting for 10 episodes for Six Feet Down Under, so very much looking forward to this. This is a vehicle for Guy Grundy, so I think it'll be spectacular. We name names as, as they as they come along, and we have them on as guests to speak to them about the series and what they think of it, and what they're what they're involved in, and what they're doing. Uh, but so far, I just wanted to tell you that news right there that six feet down under. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us everywhere. You just type in six feet down under on Instagram or. Twitter or Facebook, and you'll you'll find us. I try to update it as quickly as possible. The last project that the three of us worked on was the Lackey. Now, Sean and I are our constant partners. We work for Trillion Studios. That's a, a company that that he and I are both part of. So you'll you'll constantly see he and I doing projects together. But Guy Grundy and I and Sean Piccinino doing this thing together is pretty awesome. It's really really awesome. It's a, it's a beautiful project. I'm very much enjoying writing it as well. That's being, that's being worked on right now. Six feet down under. So what has been your week like? Have you been watching any good shows? And what good shows have you been watching? For me, it's been workaholics. Now, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> I've already seen them in, in maybe 15 things that reference their, their popularity and their fame before I ever saw the show. But I was—I've been watching this show. I've been speed watching it. Um, they're only half an hour long, so they're kind of easy to get through. So I'm already on season three after maybe five days, and I love the show. I would say—I would say it's a modern take on the Three Stooges. You know, they—they they touch base on a lot of subject matter that's taboo, and I'm pretty sure that the, when when the Three Stooges came out, they were touching base on certain subjects that were taboo as well, and making making light of them, if you will. The Workaholics is an excellent show, and I'm sure I'm sure most of you who are watching and listening to me right now know the show Workaholics. It's a, it's a fantastic show. It's fantastic, great humor, um, but it is referencing today's society of like you know potheads and you know what are they doing it, nowadays? It's very difficult for me to watch a show without some sort of pothead involved. Like even Wilford, <laughs> they're smoking pot at the end. It's like, wow. 
I didn't think this was going to be a subject matter. But it is. But Workaholic says it well. You know, it's very much the story of the consummate children, the three of them together, who, you know, trick along to... And, and what's really amusing about it is that they do have that element of the Three Suges where they consummately uh, sabotage each other's careers and futures. <laughs> While being each other's best friends. Very strange. But that's the Three Stooges as well. They would consummately um, sabotage each other's careers. It's amazing. Torcaholics. It's on Amazon Prime right now. That's where I've been watching it. What shows have you been watching? I want to know. Call in. 657-383-1444 again. 657-383-1444. We've got a great guest today. We've got Manu. Now, I'm going to say his last name. I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to hear it from him as soon as he gets online here. It's Manu Intiriyami. Intiriyami? Intiyami. That's close, right? Intiyami? You played Egypt. And Star Trek Voyager. Are you a Voyager fan? I am. I'm a huge Voyager fan. And Egypt was a gigantic part of the uh, 6th and 7th season. You remember he was one of the children of the Borg. Where they came across the the Borg ship. It was a little bit like Lord of the Flies. Where essentially five of them left. They had to fight each other. Internally, in order to find a, uh, a hierarchy, which is strange to the Borg, because the Borg don't run off a hierarchy; they're the Borg off a collective. But since they were young and immature and premature, they went towards the most animalistic uh, perspectives. Which, interestingly enough, is human. <laughs> At least, what we assume is human. I think his, I think his uh, nationality is Bernali. Bernani, I believe. You're right there. I think I'm close. Bernali. Egypt. Be on in a couple minutes. Can't wait to hear from him. How about some other news? You've been listening up on some great Marvel and DC news? Really interesting news to me was The Flash and uh, Green Arrow. They're going to have a team-up coming up very, very soon. The episode's called The Brave and the Bold, <laughs> which is awesome. If, if you're a fanboy or a fangirl, then you know that uh, Brave and the Bold was also a, a animated series of Batman, where they took more of the lighter perspectives of the DC Universe. And I very much enjoyed that series a great deal. So you're going to have the Flash and Green Arrow together as a team-up. It's going to be sweet. Have you been liking the Flash show? I've been really, really enjoying it. Unlike Gotham, the Flash is, is a great superhero flick. Or show, whatever you want to call it. Fantastic. Well, I wouldn't say fantastic. It's great. Fantastic is probably the second or third season, you know, if we get lucky here. But from what I've seen, it's just, it's leading up to better and better and better. Now, if you watch if you watch the original Flash, the older Flash in the 80s, that was still very good. I really, really 
enjoyed it. I love his suit as well, by the way. I loved his suit better than this suit, by the way. This suit is pretty good, but it's a little... A little off to me, just a little bit, but uh, I still like it. I'm not going to be a whiner about it, I still like it. What do you think? What do you think of the new Flash's outfit? Give us a call, 657-383-1444. We're talking to Manu today about Fifth Passenger, Star Trek Voyager, One Tree Hill. We're talking about all these things today, so that will be very nice. In other news, interestingly enough, we were reading about X-Men Apocalypse. I'm going to start pre-production very, very soon. They're going to recast two pivotal roles. One being Scott, so Cyclops, and the other one being Jean, so Miss Marvel or Phoenix, whatever you want to call her. Interestingly enough, now everybody is asking for a reboot after Apocalypse. They're saying after Apocalypse, where can you go from there? It's it's such a gigantic storyline, and he's such a huge enemy. Uh, X-Men don't really have another enemy as huge. Are you going to go back to Senator Kelly? So they're looking at uh, Ellie Fanning to play Jean Grey. That'll be very interesting. Cyclops, we, we don't know anything about that that person. We were talking this week about changing the character of Wolverine, of, of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, and changing him and replacing him with somebody else. And as far as we know, and as far as we're considered, uh, Wolverine will not be changed until Hugh Jackman you know, says, I don't want to do it anymore. Because he's going to continually be asked. It doesn't matter what storyline. My problem with the X-Men movies right now is that these newer films are negating the older films, which makes them a moot point. Or an alternate universe, if you want to look at it that way. But in that way, I guess it stays true to the comic books, where you know, a lot of the comic books are a little bit nebulous. They're, they're a storyline, but they don't, they don't stay stuck in a world. And that's really important. They create worlds. So I'm I'm very interested in seeing how they're going to come up with that story. How they're going to go with that. I also believe that Apocalypse will be the last movie that Brian Singer will direct. I think after that he'll go to executive producing and, and other things and try to avoid any kind of scandal as far as here as his career goes because his career is a little scandalous. That kind of disappeared if you didn't notice right at, right before uh, Days of Future Past. That's what happens when money is involved, right? You just get snubbed, put on on the table. So Days of Future Past is okay. It's not a bad film. Here's my argument about Days of Future Past. And then we'll go into Apocalypse and, and what I want to see from that. The whole storyline was based around Mystique killing the creator of the Sentinels. And that that was the genesis 
of the apocalypse or the genocide of all mutants. Okay? Okay, I, I buy that. I get it. Now, I'm taking for granted that you've all seen this film. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it yet, then you're one of the ten people who've not seen this movie. <laughs> so, what does Mystique do? Mystique goes after after the creator of, of the Sentinels. And what does um, what does the X-Men do? Well, it's sent back Wolverine back in time to go get Charles Xavier and get Magneto. Now, if you watch the movie, Magneto's position and character was just there for exposition. He was just there to cause problems. And I ask you this. Magneto, the future, couldn't have looked in the past and said, I would do this? <laughs> so stupid. It was so stupid. It made zero sense to me. Why'd you even let this guy go free? Then after that, they go and uh, release Quicksilver from the prison. And by the way, if you saw that scene, it was the best scene of the entire movie. Best scene. Best scene by far. And what happens? Towards the end of the film, when we need somebody with his superpowers, we... Leave him behind. Why? Movie. <laughs> it makes zero, why would you leave that guy behind? That guy can do every single one of your jobs before you can even blink an eye. You could have got Mystique and the President and all these things before anybody would have noticed. So dumb. Such a loophole in storytelling. So, how does Magneto stop Mystique? He lifts up an entire stadium... Hovers over Washington and then drops it and surrounds the White House as the president and the entire cabinet are staring at it. <laughs> so you're trying to tell me that the murder of the creator of the Sentinels sparked off the genocidal race of the mutants. But surrounding the, the ongoing president with a a Dodger Stadium, a Angel Stadium, of New York Stadium, whatever you want to call it, whatever stadium it is. You want to surround the president with that, and then that's not going to spark up? Let's, let's make more Sentinels and destroy these guys? Because if this is one man who could do this, then what could 20 people do? So that's just a, a huge, ridiculous mistake. Huge. For me. One that's hard to go by. One that's hard to, to let go for me. So Jennifer Lawrence recently said that in the next movie, her character should be running away. Should be looking for something else. Should be leaving the original interaction. And agreed. Agreed. But here's our chance to do X-Men right and, and to finish X-Men properly. Now, here is my argument for rebooting the series after this is created. And why it's a good idea. One... Apocalypse is an excellent story to end this essential trilogy, starting with X-Men uh, First Class. It would end the trilogy properly. Properly. Okay. I love that idea. I love the a good ending to a good trilogy. Two, you've already destroyed Brett Radner's X-Men, so you've already destroyed any mistake that any fanboy or fangirl might have. So you got that out of the way. Two. Three, 
You could do the Phoenix Saga all over again and make it good this time and make it awesome. So you can be truer to the comic books because now you have a ground zero. Unlike Amazing Spider-Man who could have taken advantage of the fact that the original Spider-Man already told the Genesis story, X-Men can take advantage of that fact. Understanding, of course, that the other company, you know, Paramount, Sony, did not take advantage of Of the Genesis story. They told it all over again, which makes no sense. Why would you tell the Genesis story all over again of, of characters we already have established? Like Batman. I get it. Batman's parents were killed. I got it. I really don't need to see 15 new films of Batman's parents being murdered. I don't... That's unnecessary. And, and by the way, it's not a gigantic motivator for a Batman of, like, you know, 65 years old. My parents were murdered. You, that's maybe your motivation for the first 15 years, 20 years of being Batman. Not that that is not a big motivator. So obviously a lot of great shows on. A lot of great movies. So where should Apocalypse go? So Apocalypse should go in that direction. It should go in the direction of you know, the future, the past, and the middle. Unlike day, Days of Future Past, now we can really, really mess with quantum physics or physics. So we could really mess with the storyline. We could really mess with how things are working because you can go into a past that's being shaped as the future is being told at the same time. Unlike Days of Future Past where you're trying to correct correct a storyline. You're trying to correct a space-time continuum. In uh, Apocalypse, you're essentially trying to reestablish a state, a space-time continuum. It's a little different. So I'm very, very, very much looking forward to that. How many of you have gone to see Interstellar this weekend or last weekend, the weekend before? Many? What did you think of it? Call in 657-383-1444. Come talk to me or come and talk to Manu. I loved Interstellar. I really loved it a lot. It reminds me a little bit of Titanic. And, and give me a second to explain. <laughs> Where it was so exact in certain areas that I knew people were going to harp on other areas that weren't. I thought it was a fantastic film. One of Christopher Nolan's better films? No. Better than Dark Knight Rises? By a mile. Better than Dark Knight? No. I would say that's on par with Prestige. The Prestige is pretty much what, what is close to what I would think this, this, this movie is like. And I enjoyed it a great deal. Well, before we have Manu on the show, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Star Trek Voyager and the weird connection with Battlestar Galactica. So, Manu played Egypt, which was the eldest child of the Borg 
Child Collective. So a Borg ship crashes or breaks down in the middle of nowhere. And Voyager comes across the ship. Turns out the only five that are still alive are these five young Borg. And one of them is Manu, who plays Egypt, which is the eldest. Now, it's a Lord of the Flies situation where there's another boy involved who, at the end of the episode, dies. Which is a very touching moment, by the way. It's actually a very touchy moment. Because he looks at 7 and 9 and he goes, we are bored. And she goes, we are bored. Which I thought was very sweet. Because he found security in being bored. He liked it. And uh, he couldn't let go of that past. So anyways, Manu, or Ichip, becomes the new elder, or the new leader of, of the young people, while 709 plays the mother-like figure. Throughout season 6 and 7, we go looking for the parents of these children, the twins, the, the girl, and, and Egypt. The first person we, we come into contact with is Egypt's parents, and I believe that his, his nationality is Bernali. And his father is Mark Shepard. Now, if you don't remember Mark Shepard, Mark Shepard was in BSG. He played Romo Lampkin. He was also in, in Firefly as well. So Mark Shepard was in Firefly. He was in BSG. He was in Voyager. And the creator of the newer, the newer um, BSG was also the, front, the, the show frontrunner for Deep Space Nine. And also one of the head writers for, for Voyager before he moved on and did BSG. That's quite interesting. That's a that's quite a a connection between those characters. So they're obviously obviously part of the, the same sci fi package or sci fi world. They're all interconnected. I think my name's running a little late. This will be the first time. But we're still waiting on my name. So let's, let's talk a little bit more. As I smash my mic into my face. <laughs> Colin, 657-383-1444. I thank you for joining us today. My name is Steve Pisa for Cinema Files Radio. We, we're waiting on Mano Interyami 
from Star Trek Next uh, Voyager, and also from Fifth Passenger, starring Tim Russ, Marina Sirtis, Roberta, Robert Picardo, and, and Manu, and Morgan Lariah. Written by Scott Baker and Morgan Lariah. Directed by Scott Baker. We spoke, we spoke to them recently at Basketball Weeks, about the, about the Fifth Passenger and where it's going, and, and I can't wait to talk to Manu about that as well. It's very interesting about how they're all grouping together to do the same sci-fi projects. They're, they're doing fan films. By the way, these fan films look better than the original original shows. And fan movies, one of them following uh, Wesley Crusher's character and the Crusher family, which I, I think is amazing. I think it's a fantastic storyline. And I would also argue that Egypt's storyline as well is pretty fantastic as well, because if you look at the last couple episodes of Voyager, technically speaking, his character is still alive in the Delta Quadrant um, as an older character, because we do meet an older older him. So that's very, at least very interesting for me. Do you have a favorite episode of Voyager? Do you have a favorite season? Do you? What's your favorite season? What's your favorite show? What's your favorite episode? And better yet, what's your favorite Star Trek? Are you are you a lover of the first one? Next Generation? East Space Nine? Voyager? Enterprise? I like them all. I would say Enterprise is probably last on my list even though I, I thought it would be the most interesting. Generation being first, of course. Star Trek being two, and Deep Space Nine being you know three or four, and Voyager tying that. Mostly because they were out at the same time, and it was very difficult. Because Deep, Deep Space Nine really touches base on a different part of the Star Trek universe. While Voyager, more or less, plays along with traveling it's it's the you know the three hour tour. <laughs> it's essentially Gilligan's Island, the Delta Quadrant. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty sweet. Robert Picardo played a great character too. He played a, a Data. I didn't think they were going to do a Data after or before uh, Seven of Nine. They did Seven of Nine after uh, after the uh, hologram Doctor played by Robert Picardo, which I thought was intensely interesting. His character was really interesting. And then you brought on another character who wanted to find out how to be human. And then you found brought another character on how to be human, which was Manu. Which was very interesting. These characters take our place as far as, you know, the, the new discovery. And what am I looking for in a person? What am I looking for in a thing? And it's incredibly interesting. Anyways, as his story goes... Uh, he does come to Earth. We never hear from him again, but of course he comes to Earth. Because if you see the last couple episodes, he's still with Voyager. He, he decides to stay. If you if you see what his character was, his character was originally created specifically to send a Borg virus, once captured by the Borg, to destroy them. So his genetic sequence was manipulated by his parents, who were geneticists in order to kill the Borg in a, in a finite way. 
Now, I think I think that's very interesting as well because now you're saying that Manu as a character and as a person in the Star Trek world, he himself is a weapon. Now, if you saw the last episode of Voyager, they used that weapon to cripple the Borg as they went through the conduits to go back home. God, I'm a nerd. <laughs> but I love this stuff. I was watching the the episodes the past couple of uh, days to catch up, and I realized I've seen so, these episodes so many times that it's just ridiculous. I didn't need to watch them again. I, I already memorized them. I was talking to somebody recently about the next Star Trek film, written or directed by Robert Ory, who wrote the, the previous one. And a lot of what people believe bad writing. You know, it's hard to say bad writing, and I'll tell you that. Because I'm, I'm a writer. And once it leaves my hands and goes in the director's hands, the producer's hands, it's going to change. And once it goes into the director's hands and goes into the actor's hands, it's going to change. So I can't. I can't blame the writer a lot of times. Does Robert Ory have more power than most people? Yes, he does. And is is his script more to blame on him because of his character and who he is as a person? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But the third film will be produced and directed, yada yada, by Robert Ory. It'll be in production very, very soon. And the question is, what will we be doing different with this new series? Now, what they've already mentioned and what they've already said was they were disappointed in the second film. They didn't like the way the second film was going. They didn't like the way the fact that... Now, J.J. Abrams just said he just made a... a I, you know, I don't want to say anything verbatim. I really don't know verbatim too well. But what J.J. was saying was that he made a couple mistakes. One was keeping the fact that it was con a secret was a bad thing. Because he, he said he should have just left it open. Number two is it should have been a lot more original. So he said a lot more original. <laughs> That's interesting from a, from a director and a writer's point of view. Now, he revamped that episode. Now, when I was younger, I used to hate when people used to change or revamp things or make things different or bring back, like, you know, Dukes of Hazard. But honestly, time is moving by so fast. The younger generation are moving so fast. If you don't get them interested in this stuff, they're going to forget it existed. A little like Black Panther, which is why we're finally getting a Black Panther film. We didn't have one before because people didn't even know he existed. Meanwhile, you wouldn't have a lot of things off the Black Panther. It's amazing. So we have to have these revamps. We have to have them come back. We have to have Star Trek turn into action schlock. For it to turn around again and be cerebral. That's what you want, right? You want a cerebral Star Trek. Because Star Trek is more like science, and Star Wars is more like art. So that's what you want, right? Okay, so we need action schlock for a little while. I mean, I would argue this. 
you had the first Star Trek The Motion Picture come out in 2013 or 2014 or 2016, the audience would, would stone you to death. <laughs> the movie was so slow-paced, it was amazing. And it had enough metaphors to fill up a book uh, for Freud, I'm telling you. Was it a good movie? I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. The director's cut, I enjoyed it a great deal. So we have to have these revamps. So Robert Ory is going to do the third film. I'm pretty positive it's going to be fantastic. I'm pretty positive. Or he's not going to have a future career. But I'm pretty sure he's going to do a great job. So that brings me to Star Wars. Because it's in the same world, right? You have J.J. Abrams, Robert Ory worked together all these years. Are still working together all these years. And as Robert Ory takes over the Star Trek properties, now J.J.'s onto the Star Wars properties. And the first film's already... Uh, Already finished. Now they're just doing post. Well, they'll do some pickup scenes. You know this. Any of you listening in who just film, you know they're going to do pickup scenes. But so far, the film is finished. And it's going right to post. It'll be released next summer. Now, they said that the trailer should be connected to The Hobbit. That'll be interesting. Ooh, here's the summer music playing. <laughs> so, Star Wars is finished. It's going in the post. The second film is already being prepped for pre-production. Already almost on its way. It's going to be fantastic. The question right now lays for a lot of people is whether the new Star Wars films are going to be good. Yes, they're going to be good. Why? They've spent so much time on this. And if you look at the Star Trek films directed by J.J. Abrams, it was basically a love letter to Star Wars. you know. And the fact that he brought in practical effects back and, and, and started off that way, that's going to be amazing. It reminds me a lot of the Dark Crystal where you have practical effects and special effects and a little bit of CG and what have you, a little bit of animation. It's going to be amazing. So I'm very, very, very much looking forward to the next Star Wars film. I'm also looking forward to the next Star Trek film, as well as the next iteration of the TV show, which hasn't been able to get its, you know, get off its feet because of the contract J.J. Abrams wrote with Paramount. You know, staking the claim that you know, while I'm making this reboot and while we're restructuring the, the time, the space-time continuum, that... There should be no shows made while I make this movie. I thought that was fair. Now I think it's unfair and we should go back and make a show because I want to see a show already. I remember when Next Generations was a big deal because it was, during the second season, it was the only show that was a million dollars an episode. Imagine that. People were pumped up over a million dollars an episode. Nowadays, like, Enterprise must have been like $5 million an episode. Three, maybe. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm I'm pretty close on that one. Nowadays, it's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And when you look at Scott Baker, and when you look at Morgan Lariah, and when you look at, you know, Ryan Tusk, 
Ryan T. Husk. When you look at these guys, these guys are making films that are relatively close to what Paramount is trying to film. I mean, yes, on a lower budget. Yes, they're trying to do it in a different fashion. But it's beautiful. You should see it. I mean, truly see it. It's really beautiful. And it's a love letter. What I love about what these guys are doing is that it's a love letter to the thing that sparked off their imagination and made them who they are today. Imagine, for a lot of us, it would be Star Trek or or Twilight Zone or, or, or some people in the younger generation. It would be Harry Potter. It would be Doctor Who. These are the people who inspired you to write, to, you know, to, to become creators. So why wouldn't you go back and, and create something for that as well, for that world? So when I see Robert Picardo and all these other guys involved in these fan films, coming back to the films and staying true to the Star Trek verse, as the Joss Whedonites would say, it's incredible, beautiful. I really wish the Joss Whedon fans out there in the world would do the same things, like make you know, Buffy side films or, or Dollhouse side films or Angel or any of those things as side films or Firefly. It, that would be easy for a lot of people these days. I'm looking at the fifth passenger. <laughs> Scott Baker by himself could make, the, could make Firefly. Now, the writing's a little different. Joss Whedon wrote it and all that stuff, and we know that the writing makes everything. But I'm just talking about the technicalities, the writing, the cast, the this, the that. They, you can get that stuff together in, overnight. And since you have a template for the writing, because you already have those episodes done for, for the first and only season, I would imagine that it would be easy, especially for a writer of this caliber, to write fan fiction for the series and to make it into a series. i just give you an idea. I want some of that credit. <laughs> Call in 657-383-1444. 657-383-1444. Still waiting on on my new. I have a couple people on, on the truck to find them. I'm more than positive he, he thinks it's starting in 21 minutes. So, those of you hanging on, thank you so much. This passenger starts... You know, Robert Ricardo, Tim Russ, Marina Sirtis, Morgan Laria, Manu, Interiami. God, I hope I'm saying that name right. Now, Manu, on my benefit here, I would like to say that I've been on the air for 40 minutes <laughs> saying your name, so I'm doing my best here. What do you think of the Star Trek world? Call in, 657-383-1444. Tell me what you think. What do you think of these new incarnations coming out, these new thoughts, these new films being made by their creators? Should they be made? Do you have a problem with them being made? Why do you have a problem with them being made? I used to have a problem with them being made because I used to think, if you want to see Dr. Zhivago, go rent Dr. Zhivago. The 14-year-olds want to go out and rent Dr. Zhivago. No, they do not. Do they want to read the book, Dr. Zhivago? No, they do not. 
Will they later in their life want to read Dr. Zhivago? Yes, they will. Will they want to see the original with Charlie Chaplin's daughter? Yes, they will. Will they in the meantime? No, they won't. They're kids. There's a scroll from China that says, Kids these days don't listen to his parents. Kids these days listen to music too loud. Kids these days don't respect their elders. Kids these days dress differently. 546 B.C., China. Kids don't change. What should change is our attitude towards them. Calling them the worst generation ever. You're not going to amount to anything. You guys just take, 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 take. I would disagree with that completely. We created the take generation, didn't we? We did give them the iPhone. Don't argue that point. Kind of ridiculous. So where do we go from here? The newer generation needs to see these films. The new Star Trek. Oh yes, sure, the Wrath of Khan is, is really hard to beat. But what these guys are going to see and encounter are slices of things that brought us to Star Trek in our world. And I would argue this point. We don't know what the catalyst is to spark up somebody's imagination or somebody's desire to pursue whatever career they pursue. And when you put these films out there, like Fifth Passenger, which is touching base on a lot of future tech, a lot of, a lot of future movies, a lot of sci-fi worlds like Blade Runner and, and Dollhouse and what have you, you're telling the younger generation that you can hold on to the classics, but you can always move on to the future. Samuel Clemens said that classic is a book that everybody reads, but uh, that everybody knows, but nobody reads. <laughs> so Clemens said that classics are books that everybody knows, but nobody reads. So what does that say? The same thing for classic movies. You know how many people I've met that have never met, met, never uh, seen The Godfather? You've never seen Mario Puzo's The Godfather? Are you out of your mind? And you want to make movies for the rest of your existence? You've never seen these movies? Then I would argue you don't know what you're talking about. But here's the thing. Who introduced them to that film? Who brought them to that, that movie? It had to be somebody. Now, maybe they didn't have that person in their life. Are you going to blame them for that? That's kind of like saying somebody's going to go to hell because they were brought up on an island. Kind of silly. <laughs> or is that no idea it existed? So we have to constantly revamp things. Look, Romeo and Juliet. 1970s, 1970s Romeo and Juliet, I would argue, is one of the best Romeo and Juliets. Yeah, there's been three or four different ones since then. Maybe five or six, if you want to count the... Ones that stray off the, the given path. I believe one is called China Girl. It's a really beautiful story. Basically a Chinese triad family versus a, a white American, them being first generation American. I'm first generation American, so I touched base on, on a lot of part of my life. Very interesting. What do you think of revamping? What do you think of, of coming back and, and, and doing something that's been done before, but changing it slightly? I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about with X-Men... You know, Apocalypse, basically coming back, changing the storyline and, and revamping the story. Why not? And people are totally into it, and it's totally acceptable in comic books, especially when it starts to go astray. When comic books start to go in a, in a different direction or a bad direction, what we do is we, sh- we shoot that, that horse in the leg. <laughs> We're making it into glue. 
You don't try to cover it up with perfume. So I see a lot of these films coming out right now that are not learning from their their past. See, it's, it's a smart person who learns from their own past. It's a wise person who learns from other people's past. So when you look at the, let's, let's just say The Amazing Spider-Man as a, as a point to be made. When you look at the Amazing Spider-Man, they learn from the first from Sam Raimi's Sam Raimi Spider-Man. No, did they learn from the third Sam Raimi Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah, sure they did. Everybody did. But I would argue they didn't learn that much, because in the Amazing Spider-Man they brought back the entire Genesis story of why he became Spider-Man. I don't care anymore, and I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, huge. But still didn't matter. He was bit. We all know this. Come on. There were Sunday morning cartoons based on this. You can move forward. That's what I love about this new Batman vs. Superman movie. Because they're already establishing an older Batman. Now, we've already heard... Now, this is funny. We've already heard that they've already shot a Wayne family murder scene. So we're going to see it all over again. To a certain extent, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a flashback. But yet again, we're going to establish it. Okay, a flashback is fine. That's fine. If you make it into a 15-minute skit, I'm going to go crazy. (laughs) I don't need to see pearls fly in the air. I don't need to see the lone gunman anymore. I don't need to see the father either stick up or defend. I don't need to see that stuff anymore. The only thing I need to see now is Batman kicking butt. That's what I want to see. So have you seen the Batman vs. Superman short clip on YouTube or from Comic-Con? It was beautiful. And what they learned, what these other directors didn't learn, is that you do not need to tell a Jenna story all over again. Just keep on going. Do we need that for the new Star Trek films? Yes, you did. You need to establish a new cast, a new crew, a new, a new timeline, a new everything. So, of course, you needed to do that. Do you need to do that for these films? No, you don't. You do not. Especially since everybody and their mother is going to be so happy to explain to their child the backstory of the thing that made them the geek. I'm telling you. You're going to love it. So. I'm a big fan of movies. My, f- my father was a huge fan of movies. My father was born in Sicily in a little town named Valdorma. When I was a little boy, he would take me to the movies. We as a family would always go to the movies. Christmas times, Thanksgiving. We'd spend time with our cousins. Because we're first generation, so we spent more time together than we did apart. We'd go see a movie together. Scrooged. Whatever was out for Christmas, Thanksgiving, or what have you. There's always a big movie out. I never thought I'd make my own movie. At, at that age. But it's so awesome. Being a first generation American, my father also instilled a lot of American ideas of how to pursue life and passion and, and career and what have you. 
And film was one of those things that he constantly brought into my life. My 10th birthday, I, I received two films to watch. One was The Secret of Nim. Second one was Rambo First Blood. I was 10. Remember, when I was 10, there were no VHS rules yet. You can not you you couldn't go see a radar film in the theaters, but you could see a radar film on VHS easily. Which I thought was weird by the way. I would walk home from the video store with a radar film in my hand and be like, This feels weird. That I can't see this in the theaters, but I can <laughs> but I can rent it and take it home in, in the darkness of my own house. Which would probably be worse than watching it in front of, you know, three hundred and fifty eight people. So cinema has been instilled with me since I was a child. My fa- my mother was a photographer, loves photography. She's still alive. My father passed away when he was 53. But my mother loved photography, came to America to be a photographer. Her birth name was Miko Ito. Uh, that Japanese part of my life. Beautiful, beautiful part of my existence. My grandfather was born in Fukushima. Yes, that's where the tsunami hit. That's the Nikola disaster. Yes, we were farmers. It's interesting. A lot of Japanese have stories about samurai, different warriors in their past. And so, I don't. I don't think so. I think what I have is a lot of farmers. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of farmers. Is there a samurai in there? Sure, probably a samurai in there. Keep to the curb or what have you. Yeah, mostly farmers. The Sicilian side, farmers as well. All farmers. I go back to Sicily right now. Um, the older generation will be farmers, and the younger generation will be at, like, you know, Venice University, what have you, start studying architecture or art design or art fashion, that kind of thing. Well, I've been trying to reach Manu for the past hour. I've been unsuccessful at trying to reach him. I'm thinking that he's thinking that it's at 11 which is eight minutes away. So I'm going to give it another eight minutes. And if he's not here in eight minutes, then I'm going to call the day. And I really appreciate you all being here today and being patient and, and waiting for our guests and listening to me talk about the movies and yip-yapping away. I'd love for you to call in and talk to me. 657-383-1444. Again, 657-383-1444. Give me a call. Love to talk to you. Today's guest was Manu Interiami. Um, we were not able to reach him for some reason. But I do have friends right now who are on the hunt. We do hope that he's okay.
One character I did want to talk about, a combo character that's very, very cool, which is Miss Marvel. Now, there's a... They reintroduced a couple of key characters in the DC and Marvel universe. And one of them was Batgirl, which I which I love. I love her new costume as well. And the other one was Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel is played by obviously played by a female. And she's a Muslim American. What's really interesting about her character is her character reminds me a lot of Supergirl. Where it's well, this part doesn't remind me a lot of Supergirl, but... See, Supergirl came from Krypton when she was a teenager. And she did not want to be a goddess, a superhero. She didn't want to be those things. She wanted to be a normal teenager. So she was a bit shocked. She also came from a future Krypton where technology was very advanced. And when she came to Earth, everything was very basically you know, old-fashioned digital. So it drove her nuts. This character, on the other hand, wants to be a superhero and is basically a fangirl for everything superhero. Very much how the original uh, Mr. Marvel or Shazam was. He was a, a fanboy of, of Superman. A lot of people might not remember that. Anyway, Miss Marvel, great character. It is the number one selling new comic book of its series. Why? It has relatable characters. It has minorities. Now, a lot of the, a lot of the different comic books have minorities, have all these different relationships, all these, all these different elements, which are awesome. But they're not being picked up right now. Like She-Hulk, it's, it's really not working. But Miss Marvel is working. Or Captain Marvel's working quite well, as a matter of fact. They already got... The first print is already on its seventh seventh print. The first print is on its seventh print. That's huge. That's huge numbers right there. So the, the comic is really, really cool. So a lot of people are saying that... Oh, oh here's an... <laughs> I almost skipped through this part. And one of the reasons why is that I really have not introduced the storyline to you guys yet, so you might not know what I'm talking about. But it's called the Inhumans. The Inhumans are basically Marvel's new X-Men property since they lost the original X-Men property. And the humans are based, live on the dark side of the moon or light side. It, it's basically a, a side of the moon that's bubbled over. How they get their superpowers, they, they incubate them into basically a, like a bubble or, or a metamorphosis like a butterfly. And they come out with superpowers. The humans are not an intensely relatable character. They're not intensely relatable. Uh, they're a little strange. The humans. So, what do the Inhumans have to do with anything? Well, Miss Marvel is an Inhuman. That's number one. So, that's the way a lot of you are saying that you can tap in the Inhuman storyline that's going to be in Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity War, which is basically the third Avengers film. You can establish that she's one of the Inhumans and make that the human aspect. So, that's one perspective. Another way the Inhumans are being related into our storyline is that when you watch S.H.I.E.L.D., they're introducing the Inhumans in S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. And by the way, the second season of S.H.I.E.L.D. is really fantastic. They already have Mockingbird on there. It's really a great show. Mockingbird was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent going Special Forces. 
she was a fantastic character. I can't wait to see Sword being introduced. I love those characters. But I digress. <laughs> but I digress. So the Inhumans. So S.H.I.E.L.D. right now is dealing with the Inhumans and Miss Marvel is dealing with the Inhumans right now in, in her storyline and her comic book and it's about to be a movie in about a year or two or three. Really depends on their line. And and if you think Guardians of the Galaxy is a little far paced to the left, wait until you see the Inhumans, which is you know, five paces to the right. And the problem is, is that with the humans, you don't get the levity that you get with Guardians of the Galaxy. Miss Marvel was a guardian. Uh, Iron Man was a guardian. A lot of a lot of people were guardians of the galaxy, so it, it does have a place in our heart. Groot is a very relatable character. These are very relatable characters. When you get to the Inhumans, then you're starting to get into strange territory. So I'm very interested to see how people are gonna get into that storyline. Now, this is the reason why the Inhumans have become such a huge striking point for storytellers or for movie makers these days. The reason why is that you can't use the word mutant in the Marvel Universe. 20th Century Fox and X-Men own the right to mutant. So what are we going to call, you know, the Scarlet Witch or Quicksilver? What are you going to call them? You're going to call them Inhumans. Well, they're calling them Miracles right now. So we're going to call... We're most likely going to call them the Miracles instead of Mutants. And then they're really going to be Inhumans. Most likely. Which is going to lead to the Inhuman storyline, which leads to mutations, which leads to why we have flying people in the sky. I think that's more rational than anything else. What do you think? You disagree? What are you looking forward to? Christmas is coming up. Hanukkah is coming up. A lot of things are coming up. What are you looking forward to as far as cinema-wise? You looking forward to a great movie? I can't wait. What I asked for for Christmas this year was the Guardians of the Galaxy Blu-ray edition. The extras alone are fantastic. What's really interesting about the extras on Guardians of the Galaxy is that it shows a lot of backstory. James Gunn did a lot of backstory for the film. More than he needed to, is what he said. And I think the storyline is just beautiful. I think where it goes is just beautiful.
has a lot of extras, a lot of things going on, and I would argue that Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the best films since the first Avengers. Now, the first Avengers came out, you'd love it. Of course you did. It was like the first Star Wars film. But when Empire came out, how did you feel then? Right? Exactly. So I would, I would argue that this is the, you know, the first Avengers was the first Star Wars. And the second one will be Empire. Be fantastic. I'm hoping the third one will be Return, because Return of the Jedi was a little campy, but still a fantastic film. But I'm looking forward to it. Age of Ultron, coming up very soon. We're waiting for Manu and Triami. We're going to wait a couple more minutes here. I'm going to put on a song, let you listen in. Hope you enjoy it. This is by one of my favorite people right now, Grimes.
That was Grimes' Genesis. What a great song. I love Grimes. Well, boys and girls, that's our show today. I had a fun time. I wanted to be on the air anyway to talk to you guys. I certainly was not expecting not to have a guest today, but those are the things that are happening, especially with live radio. And I really hope that Manu is doing okay. I hope he's safe. We just spoke very recently, so I have no reason to believe that he was skip out on this. But you know, things happen, and, and uh, I hope he's doing okay. For those, all of you out there listening in, I'm sorry for the disappointment. I promise I'll have you have him on the show very soon. I'm stuttering it a little bit during this episode, aren't I? I'm fumbling a tad bit. <laughs> It happens that you can't find your guests throughout your episode. You, you kind of go through your little oh no moment. <laughs> but it's fine. Totally fine. We'll have money on another day. I want to thank Ryan T. Husk for even trying to get in contact with, with Manu. Scott Baker for really helping out, getting a lot of his crew and a lot of his, his actors on the show. I'm a very grateful person this weekend. I'm a very grateful person this year in my life right now. I'm very happy. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to the crew for Six Feet Down On There. Thank you, Sean Paul Piccinino. Thank Guy Grundy. Thank you, guys. And thank you, audience. I didn't think anyone was listening, I'll be honest. I looked at the numbers one day and I was like, wow, okay, people are listening. And I appreciate that. I love radio, I love what I do. And I'll continue to do exactly what I'm doing. If you want to stay in contact with me, find me on Twitter for Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A. Or Six Feet Down Under. On Twitter. Those are, those are really easy ways to find me right there. Cinema Files Radio on Twitter. Steve Peace on Facebook. Cinema Files Radio on Facebook. Steve Peace on Instagram. P-I-S-A. Not too difficult to find. And I'm going to create a channel this weekend for Steve Peace on YouTube for Cinema Files Radio. So we're going to upload all these episodes onto YouTube. We're going to have fun with those. Everybody, thank you for listening to me today, and God bless you. I love every single one of you. I'm greatly appreciative for my life. And as we move forward, let's move forward happy. Thank you to all of you. I'm your host, Steve Peace on Central Files Radio. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. God bless you all. And enjoy your day. See you, peace of calling out.